brothers and sisters, as, as we look at this particular commandment, like uh, really all of them, we can see and we can have a, a two-sided focus. Um, you can look at it, uh, you could call it more of a negative side and a positive side, more of a negative side, what we shouldn't do. What, and that's that we should not take the name of the Lord in vain. And there's also implied a more positive side, that we honor God's name. And in the explanation of the Bible study series, the Heidelberg Catechism, you see both of those. That positive part that we hallow God's name, it's implied there, it's important, but it's made extremely clear and it's explicit in the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to get to the Lord's Prayer a little series on prayer after this Ten Commandments part of the catechism. The first petition is what? Hallowed be your name. We prayed it tonight. Hallowed be your name. That's the, the positive that's implied. This commandment has to do pretty directly with our speech, what comes on our tongue. And the, the Bible has a lot to say about that. We read, especially in God's Word, that the tongue has great potential to be a most unruly part of our body. Um, sin affects our whole being, of course, our body, our souls. But about the tongue, we read some pretty strong stuff. James 3, 8, about the tongue in particular, no man can tame it. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. As one pastor said, there's no one part of the body that has more potential to dishonor God, even though it's so small. There's no one part of the body that has more potential to dishonor God than the tongue. And of course, the other side of that is that also means there's tremendous opportunity to honor God with your tongue. The third commandment certainly implies that what we say, how we talk, that needs to be captive to Jesus Christ. Built into this commandment, a little different than the others, is this pretty strong incentive to keep it. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name, so that when someone does, he counts them guilty of sin before him. What does it mean to misuse the name of God? How can we guard ourselves when it comes to this commandment? Uh, what I want to do is, is list a number of, of areas of our life that fall under this command. And then I want to focus on one very particular matter. And it's one that's become so prevalent in our culture. And, and it's even something that's infiltrated the church and believers. And, and I believe it's something that we really need to take a stand on. As Christians. But first, I just want to tick off some areas that fall under this command. One, we take God's name in vain when we speak God's name lightly or irreverently. We're called to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean we tremble in terror before the Lord, certainly not in Jesus, but it means we take his name very seriously with the utmost of respect. With someone important, in, in life, we say, uh, and these are just human beings, you know, just important people. We might say sir or ma'am or 
Mr. or President. Even more so, we have to take God's name on our lips only with great reverence, never lightly. Two, we take God's name in vain when we profess the name of the Lord, but don't live like we honor his name. So you see, this commandment moves beyond our tongue, beyond our speech very quickly. This is about also our lives and our tongues being out of whack with one another. Romans 2.24 says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. His name is blasphemed. And he's speaking to Jews who professed the Lord, who professed God's name, but who weren't living like it. God's name is blasphemed, in other words. It's taken in vain when, when we say we're believers, when we profess the name of Jesus, but don't act like it. Three, we take God's name in vain when we worship God with our lips, but not with our hearts. It's similar to the second one, but a little different. This is about our speech and our heart being out of whack. Isaiah 29, 13. The people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips they honor me, but their hearts are far from me. God wants worship from the heart. God doesn't want us going through the motions. If we come to worship and we sing, but our hearts are far from the Lord, we're breaking the third commandment. We're dishonoring the name of Jesus. We're taking the Lord's name in vain. We take God's name in vain. Fourthly, uh, many people say that write about this, when we pray to God, but we don't believe in him. If we pray, but we don't really expect or believe that he is answering our prayers. To pray and not believe in prayer is very dishonoring to God. Fifth, we take God's name in vain when we misuse or abuse his word when we add to his word, when we subtract from it, when we interpret it as we see fit. Six, and finally, we take God's name in vain when we swear by God's name. Now, sometimes for legal reasons in court, it's necessary, and the vast majority of Christians over the centuries have said that's okay to do if you're called to do that in court, that type of vote. But other than that, this is talking about in anger, speaking God's name, or, or, or making unnecessary oaths, you know, I swear this and I swear that, or, you know, other than necessary ones in court. And, and so that, that little bit of an overview leads us to what I want to focus on a bit tonight, but I, I first want you to see that there are so many ways that that we need to be vigilant about this commandment. There's so many ways we can break it. We all have fallen short many times in many different ways. God promises this punishment in this command because it's so serious. And as you begin to see, taking God's name in vain, it's not just dishonoring a name, but it's dishonoring God himself. In fact, you know, you notice that even from this morning in the songs, tonight, again and again, and this is because you see it again and again in the Bible, we talk about the name of God and the name of Jesus and bless his holy name, O my soul. When the Bible 
you understand that, I think, that's talking about God himself, not just a name. God's name and God himself, that when we talk about the name of God, that's as good as saying the Lord himself, God himself. As we think about this, as we examine our hearts and lives, and, and we do that before communion all the time too, but with this command, we need to look at that prologue of the commandments again. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That starting point for the commandments. And that's really important for them. God has saved us, his people. We can't do anything to earn that salvation. In fact, even looking at this one commandment, we can tell that we've earned the punishment of the law. We've earned the curses of law. We haven't earned salvation. We've earned for ourselves the opposite. That's why God would send Jesus to take on the punishment of the law so that we could have all of his blessings. Whether he comes to us today who live after the cross or to his Old Testament people who were anticipating the cross, God comes to us with these commandments saying, I am your God. You are my people. I've taken away your sin. I am your salvation. You're forgiven. Now live for me. Live in the power of my salvation. Seek holiness. I'm holy, you be holy. Now, I want to talk about one one particular area in our walk of life our walk of holiness. Do you know, are we familiar with the, 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 those, that abbreviation OMG? The O stands for O. The M stands for my. The G stands for God. Have you ever seen those written out? Have you ever heard anyone say it? You hear it a lot. All over the place on TV. Either hear it, you, you, you might have seen the letters in email or on Facebook or texting. One of the, uh, a big song in the last year by Usher was called OMG. In fact, he had an OMG tour. And, and let, let's be clear, as we talk about this right at the beginning, sometimes to try to make it softer, God is replaced with gosh, Maybe you've heard that. And I tell you, that's, that's not really any better. Since the very first known written use of gosh, and that was in 1757 that it was first recorded, written down, it was to replace, it referred to God. It was a, it was a replacement of God. So from the very beginning of the use of that word, gosh means God. Okay? Now, when something becomes so commonplace and it's so prevalent, and this is, and you know, it, I, this, is, this has been in my heart to share this with this, this commandment. Um, it, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the culture. And I, I really believe, in light of what the third commandment teaches us, we have to be very clear on this as Christians. And it, it's time to make a stand ourselves. You, you saw some of the summary of the commandment we read in the catechism about not being bystanders either. 
when God's name is abused. We need to purge OMG from our vocabulary, whether it's in our speech, it's our texting or emails, if it's creeped in at all, we need to purge ourselves of it. I want to show you what convinces me of this. Um, I found two places in the Bible where it's used. And when we examine these two places, I think it points the way to how and when it's ever appropriate to use this. The first one I want us to look at, and you can gladly turn here or just listen. It's not a long passage. John 20, 24 through 29. John 20, 24 through 29. This is after the resurrection. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. When I was younger, my dad once answered the doorbell, uh, and it was a, a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, two of them, as there usually are. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses usually operate with a more experienced one and then one who's in training along with them. Now, JWs don't believe that Jesus is truly God. They believe Jesus was just a man. My dad brought up this John 20 verse to him and asked him, well, what about this? You know, Thomas is saying, my Lord and my God And Jesus doesn't correct Thomas and say, no, 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 don't call me God. That's just for my father. You know, this is a great text for proving the divinity of Jesus because Jesus doesn't correct him. Now, so my dad brings this text up to him. Here's what this Jehovah's Witness said about that text. This is how he explains. He says, well, Thomas was just really surprised. Thomas is just really surprised. So that's the explanation he gave. And it's like, you really want to go with that? That's what you're going to say about this statement? This was an OMG? He was really surprised and he said, OMG to Jesus? That was the explanation given. No, and of course, it's much more profound. This was a statement of faith. This is someone who met the risen Lord Jesus for the first time and with reverence and honor and faith is worshiping his Lord and his God, the Lord Jesus. The second OMG I found in the Bible is Jesus on the cross, Matthew 27. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus exclaims, my God, while he is experiencing hell for us. Because that's what was happening on the cross. Jesus was forsaken by God. That's hell for our sins, for us. So think about those two biblical uses. Do we really want to use that phrase? Ever? What do you think? 
when the biblical examples are Thomas being confronted with the risen Lord and Jesus being forsaken by God for us, with Jesus saying it at the height of his atoning work for us, given that I can only think of two times, two instances where a believer would ever say anything approaching this. And one, only one of them is in this lifetime. The first is, you know that hymn, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder. That's how great thou art. Now that's an appropriate time, don't you think? When we're meditating on the greatness of God, when we're worshiping and singing to the Lord or praying, and a lot of times our songs are prayers, so praying and worshiping, that's an appropriate time to say, my God. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder. But, but I tell you what, don't do it if you don't mean it. It's better to keep your mouth shut. Don't do it if you don't mean it. Don't do it if your heart's not in it. So when we worship, when we pray to the Lord, we, we, we do that. And then the second time, a second place where we would use it, I think of how we're celebrating communion tonight and communion anticipates the wedding banquet of the Lamb in heaven. This anticipates when, when we're going to be with Jesus, when, when we're going to sit around the wedding banquet of the Lamb with our loved ones, those who have gone before. That will be a time when we go into heaven we die or Jesus returns, when we're confronted with the risen Lord Jesus, think of that day, the one who took on the curse for you, for your sin. I can only imagine we're going to drop on our knees before the one who died for us and say, my Lord and my God. That will be an appropriate time to use that phrase. Until then, in our worship, in our heartfelt prayers, but nowhere else, okay? Nowhere else. God's name is so holy and so precious. Our quest for holiness, our quest for honoring our God with our lives must include honoring his name, lifting it up. Let's not... As the catechism says, blaspheme or misuse the name of the holy God in any way. Instead, let's use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe so that we may properly confess him, pray to him, and praise him in everything we do and say until we see him face to face one day. Amen.